As we start this morning, I thought it'd be great to start like we started last week. You guys did a great job with this, so I thought, why not do it again this week? But we're going to throw Psalm 23 on the screen. And what I'd love for us to do is kind of say it out loud together as a choir. Can we do that? So let's say it together. Here we go. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with all my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what we said last week. We said that psalm is very familiar. Most of you, many of you have heard it, seen it on plaques. Maybe some of you grew up going to church and you might even memorize it. And we said because it's so familiar, it's extremely dangerous. We said it's it's a very dangerous psalm. The reason that it's dangerous is that it becomes so familiar, it becomes almost like this poem, so to speak, that we quote at certain times that for many of us, it's so familiar that we have never maybe plumbed its depths to find its meaning and the power that's found in this particular psalm. It's dangerous. But it's not only dangerous, it's distorted. It's a distorted psalm. Here's what I mean by that, and we really need to kind of hang on to this, is distorted because it gets misapplied and misappropriated. That there are people that kind of apply it universally and just kind of say it as though it applies to all people at all times and all places and all circumstances and situations. And we said something that was a little unsettling last week, and we said this, it doesn't. That's not the way to read this psalm. In fact, we said you can't really understand and appropriate this psalm, make it yours unless you understand certain things. And we said the first thing that you have to understand when reading this psalm is this, you have to read it understanding that we all are like sheep. We said this last week, we're all like sheep and we're like, well, what does that mean, right? Because a lot of us in there are like, man, I don't know much about sheep, right? I didn't know much about sheep. And we said, when you really look into what sheep are like, you realize, eh, might not be real flattering, right? Because we said sheep are sometimes stupid, right? And, and they get easily led astray and sheep are an extremely unclean animal and have no way to clean themselves. And, and sheep can't see very far down the road, right? And, and so they don't have great perspective, And so therefore, sheep sometimes will will not only get led astray, they'll get lost. And we say we're all like sheep. And and when we just are really honest and kind of looked at our own life, we said, yeah, I'm kind of like a sheep. I mean, there's a lot of things about that picture that kind of resonate with me in my life when I really look at it honestly. And so therefore, if I'm like a sheep, then this psalm helps me understand that I need a shepherd. In fact, you won't understand Psalm 23 till you realize you're like a sheep and you need a shepherd. And so Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and I left some of you rassless last week and that's okay, I'm all right with that if you are. Because we said, the Lord is my shepherd, but he's not everybody's shepherd. He's not everybody's shepherd, he wants to be. I wanna make sure I'm clear, the Lord is not everybody's shepherd, but he wants to be your shepherd. He wants to be everybody's shepherd. And you're like, well, man, I want the Lord to be my shepherd. How in the world can Psalm 23 be mine? I want the Lord to be my shepherd. And we said, you got to understand three things. If the Lord's going to be your shepherd first, you got to acknowledge and accept the shepherd as your lamb. You will never understand Psalm 23 unless you understand the Psalm that comes before it, Psalm 22. 
In Psalm 22, it's all about the fact that the shepherd in Psalm 23 became the lamb in Psalm 22. The one who died in my place. He paid the price for my sin. Psalm 23 makes no sense unless I understand that that shepherd became the lamb, took my place on the cross. And then once I acknowledge and accept the fact that that shepherd became my lamb, I need to believe the shepherd as my Lord. The Lord will never be my shepherd if I don't believe the shepherd as my Lord. And we said, what does that mean? He wants control. And and it sounds like, was he militant? No, he knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you more than you can imagine. He sees what you don't see. He knows what you don't know. And he says, I want you to turn control of your life over to me. I want you to turn over control of your heart, your mind, your passions, your priorities to me. Why? Because I love you. Because I know you. Because I see what you don't. And then we end it with this. We said, not only do we need to acknowledge and accept him as our lamb, believe him as our Lord, but we need to count on the shepherd to satisfy us. That in a culture, in a generation, which is hungry and always looking for different things to satisfy them, we said true satisfaction comes in the presence and with relationship with the shepherd who's Jesus. See, here's the deal. When we go through Psalms, here's how I want you to think about it. Psalms, biggest book in your, in your Bible, okay? So you probably can leave through your Bible and say, wow, that's kind of a big book. And the word Psalms means the plucking of the strings. It's kind of a, a song book. Here's what we called it. We said Psalms is just my, God's playlist for my life. That's all it is. And so what I want, we're gonna be in Psalm 23 for five weeks. I want it to replay over and over and over and over again in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit. Here's why. Because life has a way of burning you out, betraying you and leaving you bewildered. Can I get one amen in the room? Yeah, I got more than one. How you like that? But that's just true. It's just true. And the book of Psalms is all about the rawness of human emotion hitting the realness of God and exploding into a robust faith. That's what the book of Psalms is about. It's like we can be real with God, we can be raw with God, and we can encounter God with those kind of things and realize that there is a God who's present in the middle of that. And who wants us to come into his presence. So Psalm 23 is all about that. And this morning, I just want to cover two verses. Can we do that? Two verses. Look at them with me. Verses 2 and 3. He, that's the shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Here's what David's trying to say today. He wants us to realize David, by the way, is the guy writing this. He was a shepherd. He's writing this from the perspective of a sheep. And here's what he wants us to realize, that the shepherd, the good shepherd, the shepherd who knows us, loves us, knows what, knows what we don't know, sees what we can't see, here's his desire for us as sheep. He wants to lead us into rest, refreshment, restoration and renewal. Anybody need that in the room this morning? Yeah, I mean, I think this morning is gonna be extremely applicable for each of us in the room. Let's get started with this one. I want you to write this down. My shepherd, you ready? My shepherd wants my body to be rested. My shepherd wants my body to be rested. You see what he says? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, after you write that down, I want you to look up here a second because I want to just tell you a little bit about what it's like to be, to be me, okay? Because here's the deal. I've been a pastor for over 20 years and I can tell you something. I've preached a lot of sermons, okay? Inevitably, here's what's happened. I've preached sermons on marriage. Every time I want to do a sermon or a series on marriage, guess what happens? My wife picks a fight with me that week, right? And we get a squabble. It's not always her fault. I'll just be honest. But, but we, you know, I, inevitably, we'll have a challenge in our marriage when I'm getting ready to preach on marriage, even worse than that, even worse than that, anytime in my 20-some years of pastoring where I'd want to do a series or a sermon on parenting, guess what? 
a demon possesses my kids that week. You know what I'm saying? And it feels like that's the week my kids are going haywire, right? You tracking? This morning, I feel like I am totally unqualified to share with you. I mean that. Because this morning, I think what God wants us to lean into is this idea of he, as our shepherd, wants to lead us into rest and restoration. And I just need to be honest with you. These, this last week and maybe last couple of weeks have been the busiest weeks, hands down, I think I've ever experienced. If ever you have come and listened to a preacher on empty, this morning you have. I have very little in the tank. I have very little rest. If I told you what my week and I don't have time and I don't want sympathy, I'm just saying, not only has this been a crazy week, but can I just tell you this? I'm not real good at it. Even beyond this week, this is just something that I struggle with. This whole concept and idea is something that I have struggled with, I do struggle with, and probably always will to some degree or another. So this morning, this morning, you guys as a congregation have the chance to say what's on this next slide. Say it out loud to me. Go ahead. Say it nicely, at least, okay? Jeez, oh, Pete. Had to be judgmental. But I am speaking from from a heart that struggles with some of this. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in the house busy? Anybody busy? Raise your hand if you're busy. Some of you are like, I don't want to raise my hand. I'm confessing sin. That's all right. Our culture's busy. We, we run the rat race. Anybody in here realize that we wear busyness kind of like a badge of honor? Anybody ever been around somebody like that? It's like being busy is like a, a badge of honor that I'm proud of. We're busy. I mean, we got church, we got work, we got school, we got home, we got doctor, we got workouts, practice, cars, hobbies. I want you to take a test. You ready? Don't answer out loud. First service, people are answering out loud. Don't do that, okay? Just answer in your head. Don't shake your head. Just, but take this test. I want to know if you're busy. Are you one of those people who is always in a hurry? Is your to-do list unrealistic? Do you use your days off to catch up on unfinished work? Is there someone close to you who's told you to slow down, namely Jennifer. I mean, no, no, I didn't mean to answer out loud. (laughs) Here's one. Do you feel guilty relaxing? I will not allow any of my staff to answer this one. For me, that is. Do you have to get sick to take a day off? I can't tell you the amount of times I laid on my back sicker than a dog at the end of exhaustion. Is it hard for you right now to focus because you're thinking about all the things you need to do? By the way, I can see it in some of your eyes, just so you know. When you sit down, do you tend to fall asleep? Psalm 127 says this, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved one. Someone wrote, and I don't know who to give credit to, but here's what they wrote. I thought it was good. When you burn the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are, is what they wrote. I like that. I like that. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do as a result of today's sermon is simply this, get some rest. Or maybe more specifically, the most spiritual thing some of you can do as a result of today's sermon is take a nap. I just prefer not right now, but to take a nap, okay? Because we have a shepherd who wants to lead us into rest. He wants our bodies to be rested. The good shepherd leads his sheep and gives them rest, which led to something interesting because I don't know much about sheep. Maybe you know more about sheep than I do, but as I was reading about sheep, it's interesting that there are four things that need to happen before sheep will rest. 
It's interesting, right? So before a, a, before a flock of sheep will rest, they have to be free from fear. They have to know there's no predators, no threat to them. Then beyond that, they have to be free from fear, and then they have to be free from fighting with each other. So they have to be getting along. And then third, they have to be free from the things that pest them, that kind of bother them and irritate them. And then four, they have to be free from searching for and longing for food. They have to know that their hunger is satisfied. And as I was reading about sheep, because I don't know that much about sheep, I was reading an actual shepherd writing this. And here's what he said. The only way for all four of those things to be experienced is in, listen close, is in the presence of the shepherd. Because it's only in the presence of the shepherd that our fears are eliminated and that freedom is provided for. And I thought about the good shepherd and here's what it made me think. You gotta write this down. There's not a slide for it. The good shepherd makes me rest because the good shepherd made me to rest. Here's what I mean by that. The good shepherd makes me rest because the very, the very idea that I have been created by God, he created me to rest. Listen close, I'm gonna clear up some confusion for some of you. Some of you in the room, and I've heard this in different places that I've been conversations, when we think of work in our life, we think work is a result of the curse. Oh, we gotta work, because Adam, man, he screwed up. Now we gotta work. That is a wrong idea. Work is not a result of the curse. Work is not a result of sin. I wanna tell you something. This might help you understand work different. We were created to work. Did you know that? That, that man was working before sin ever entered the story. And so when you and I are able to and don't work, we live outside of God's created purpose. But here's the deal. We were created to work, but man was made in the image of who? God. And so our purpose, we were created to work, but the pattern we were created in was a pattern of rest because God worked. And then what did he do on the seventh day? He rested because he was tired. No, but he set a pattern. You see, here's the deal. When I am able to and don't work, I live outside of God's purpose for my life. But when I don't rest, I live outside of his pattern that he created me in. I would say it this way. We rest so that in our work, we can give our best. We rest so that in our work, which is our purpose, we can give our best. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now look at your Bibles. Look at what he says. He said, he makes me lie down in green pastures and then he leads me beside what? What's it say? Say it out loud. Still or quiet waters. That's interesting. There's something challenging here. Here's what it makes me think. Let this lean into you because it leans into me. You ready? If rest and renewal, if somehow rest is not a part of my life, you ready? Then I'm probably not following the good shepherd. If rest and renewal aren't a part of my life, then I'm probably not following, but I'm doing things that I'm probably not, because what does he do? He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. That's where the good shepherd leads. In fact, Matthew 11 says, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you, say the word out loud, rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle, and you'll find, say the word out loud, rest for your souls. Here's what I want you to know. Rest 
is consistent with how God made me. I've been made in the image of God and rest is consistent with me understanding that I am a new creation. When I give my life to Christ, I am a new creation in Christ. So some of you this morning need rest. You're exhausted, you're tired, your body needs rest and you're living contrary to the pattern you've been made and you're living outside of an understanding of what it means to live experiencing the gospel. So how do you get rest? Four things, they spell the word rest. You ought to write these down. Four things to rest this morning. First is this, I gotta start by remembering my worth. I gotta remember my worth. It is so easy for me to confuse my work with my worth. Guys, we are really bad at this. Gals can struggle too, but guys, because I'm a guy and I hang out with guys and here's how it works. You meet a guy for the first time, here's how it goes. Hi, I'm Dan, what's your name? I'm Joe, what's the next question? What you do, right? And, and here's what you can count on. Okay, it's just the way it works. That whatever comes next tells you some value and worth somewhere. Hi, I'm Dan, I'm a brain surgeon. Boo, right? Actually, there was in the second service a brain surgeon, right? I met him afterwards. I'd never met him before. You see, we attach worth to whatever it is that comes next. And here's what I know, okay? This is gonna lean into some, some of you in a unique way. There are some of you that you've grown up all your life and somebody has told you you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. Maybe it was your friends. Maybe it was your, your peers at school, teachers. For some of you, it was your parents. And here's what you're doing. You ready? Here's what you're doing. You are spending your life. You are working from sunup till sundown. You're doing everything you can to prove yourself to someone. And in some of your cases, what you're doing is you are wearing yourself out, trying to prove your worth to somebody who's already dead. Maybe it was dad or mom. And see, the gospel says this. I don't, listen close. This is so key. We we could close right now. I don't need to work for my worth. I can work from my worth. Ephesians 2 says it this way. God saved you by his grace. When you believed, when you said yes to Jesus, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us new in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us to do. Here's what he's saying is that the grace of God saves me from my sin. It's not something I've done. It's not something I've accomplished. I can't earn it. I'm saved by grace through faith, saying yes to Jesus. But the story of the gospel doesn't end there. That's where many of us put a cap on the gospel. It doesn't end here. I've been saved from my sin for a purpose. And so therefore, it is God's grace in my life that all of a sudden allows me to be his masterpiece created for his purpose. I don't have to work my full head off to prove I'm worthwhile, valuable to anybody, let alone God. There's nothing I'm gonna do to make him love me more, love me less. Here's the deal. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm saved from my sins for a purpose. And I can work from the fact that I have worth instead of having to work the rest of my life to prove my worth. I am a trophy of grace. I am a masterpiece of grace. I have worth in Christ. Not only that, you ought to write this down. 
I need to remember my worth and then enjoy what he gives me. Sometimes I cannot get rest because I get preoccupied with what I don't have. Sometimes we get preoccupied with the things that we don't have. We spend more time thinking about what we don't have than we think about what we do have. So therefore we buy things with money we don't have to impress people we don't even know. It's interesting, I was thinking about this and this, this came back to my mind. Jennifer and I used to live in Indiana in a town called Warsaw. <clears throat> we lived in an upstairs apartment. It wasn't nothing to write home about. Okay, it was just a little, it was what we could afford. But what we would like to do is go for walks. And not very far from where our apartment was, there was this beautiful neighborhood. Beautiful. The houses were huge. It's where all the, the wealthy people lived. So the houses were huge, the, the lawns were perfectly manicured, and so we loved walking through there. And we would walk through there, and one day it hit me. I remember I said to her, I said, hey, Jennifer, I said, uh, do you notice anything unique as we walk through the neighborhood, and we've been doing it for some time? She said, yeah, big houses and manicured lawns. I'm like, yeah, not that, something else. She said, what are you talking about? I said, have you ever noticed that all the time we've been walking through here, I have never seen a kid playing out in the front yard. I've never seen anybody on the front porch. In fact, I don't see anybody in the backyard. Where are they all at? And I begin to wonder, are they working in order that they might have something they can't enjoy? You see how that works? Here's what Ecclesiastes 3 says. It says, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are gifts from God. There's nothing wrong with having a big house manicured lawn, by the way. But sometimes we work our full head off to have things we don't already have to impress people we don't even know. And so I challenged you a few months ago to go home and take a gratefulness inventory. To just walk around your house and look at your life and write down 50, 100 things that you are thankful for that you already have that you already have, that God's already given you. Remember your worth, enjoy what you have. And then I want you to write this down. I need to schedule my values. I need to schedule my values. If the Lord is my shepherd, then what the shepherd values becomes my values. And I need to deliberately schedule my values. It begs the question, what is really important to you? Think about this for a second. What is important to you? Let me ask the question a different way. If I simply looked at your schedule or how your week rolled out, what would your week or your schedule say is important to you? Because I might say something is important to me or that I value it, but the way I spend my time is what I really value. And here's all I'm saying is that we need to schedule the things that we value. Look at Mark 8. Here's what it says. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Can I paraphrase for a minute? Is that, can I have that liberty for a second? Let me read it this way. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world, lose your own soul and your kids in the process? How do you benefit if you gain the whole world, lose your own soul and maybe your marriage in the process maybe your faith in the process here's what I know let's just say this many many if not most of us are busy it is the most common answer to the question how you doing busy how you doing busy how you doing busy many if not most of us are busy few of us are blessed just being busy doesn't mean you're blessed 
Most of us have full calendars, but not very fulfilled lives. A full calendar does not mean a fulfilled life. And a lot of us are active. There's tons of activity, but activity does not equal effectiveness. And so what I got to do is I got to realize I got 24-7. That's all I got, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. That's what I got, that's what you got. And if I'm going to value what the shepherd values, I need to schedule my values. You know what that means? I need to begin saying yes first to the most important things. Yes first to the most important things. You know what else it means? I'm going to have to say no to some other things. Like, like there's some things in my life that I probably have to say no to. You see, for some of us, we have collywonkered, I like that word, right? Collywonkered values because our value is I just want to be involved in everything. I just want to do everything and you can't, you won't. And so I got to figure out what's the most important things. Enjoy what you have, schedule your values. And I want you to write this down. I need to trade my pressure for his peace. With the shepherd, there's rest. Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to trade your pressure for his peace? It means that with my pressure, listen close, I run into his presence. Now that sounds like church talk. Let's just be honest then. I don't know if, Probably none of you struggle with this, but I will tell you about me. When the pressure begins to mount, you know the first thing that ends up going many times? You know what it is? I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to spend with Jesus. Why? I got so much on my plate. And then I can't figure out, man, I really feel the pressure. And I think what Paul was saying in Philippians is like, no, no, when the pressure's on, run into his presence. Like I, I take my pressure there. And if you're like me, sometimes I can think, I'm too busy to pray, too busy to do this. And he's like, no, 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 you're too busy not to. Like, 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 like that's where you need to run because peace is found in the presence of the shepherd, even in the middle of pressure. You see how that works? See, some of us need rest. And we have a shepherd who wants our bodies to be rested. There's something else that is kind of interesting that I want you to see. I want you to write this down. We also have a shepherd who wants our soul to be restored. We have a shepherd who wants our soul to be restored. It says this, he refreshes my soul. I like how the ESV puts it, he restores my soul. Some of us in this room, we're busy and we need rest. Look here a second. Others of us are exhausted because we carry baggage that right now, this moment, is damaging our soul and sucking the life out of us. And some of us are sitting here today and we're like, yeah, my body doesn't feel that tired, but my soul is exhausted. There's no life left in there. I'm tired because I'm carrying baggage. And when I think about the baggage that we carry that damages our soul, there's probably a lot of things I could talk about, but can we talk about two this morning? Two areas that literally suck the life out of our soul. One is guilt and one is grudges. Guilt is me carrying around the baggage for all the things that I've done. And grudges is me carrying around the baggage for all the things other people have done to me. 
And some of us are here this morning and we are downcast in our soul. We have so much weight in our soul. We're exhausted from carrying the baggage of our guilt and our grudges. And this morning, good news, Psalm 23 is we have a shepherd who wants to restore, heal, help our soul. Let's start with guilt. I want to read a passage. I want to read it slow because some of you, my guess would be, I've heard from people all morning would say, I could have written that. Psalm 38 says this, my guilt overwhelms me. My guilt is a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds fester and they stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain all day long. I walk around filled with grief. Listen, guys, guilt is a heavy, heavy burden to carry. And the longer I carry it, the heavier it becomes. The longer I carry guilt, the heavier it becomes. Here's the problem. Ready? We all have a reason to feel guilty. All of us. You know why? Because we're all guilty. We are all guilty. None of us are perfect. All of us have regrets. All of us have made decisions we wish we could redo. Here's the thing. When it comes to your guilt, when it comes to my guilt, normally there's, there's several things, maybe two things in particular that we do with our guilt. So we're guilty. We feel it. We know it. I don't have to make a case for it, but we do one of two things. For some of us in this room, what we do with our guilt is we compound it. Because it somehow makes sense to us that if I'm already guilty, I might as well enjoy it on the way. I might as well just jump in with both feet. I'm going to go out with blazes, man. I'm guilty. I'm going to have a party. I'm just going to love it. And I'm just going to go whole hog down the guilty path. And so that's what we do. But there's others of us. We're a little more refined, we think, in the way we deal with guilt. Because what we do is we're like, yeah, I'm guilty, but we don't compound it. You know what we do? We cover it. Oh, there's lots of ways we get good at covering it. You might recognize one. Some of us cover it by denying it. Oh, not, not me. Others of us, we minimize it. Oh, it's not that bad. At least it's not like Tom over here, you know? Some of us, we rationalize it. Well, everybody else is doing it. Some of us, you know what we do with our guilt? We cover it by blaming others, right? That's a classic. Well, yeah, I lost my temper because you, right? But here's the scary one. You know how some of us cover our guilt? We sanitize it. We sugarcoat it. You know how we do that? With religion. I will tell you something. It's just my experience. I have no survey or scientific study. It's just my years being a pastor, that the guiltiest people that I have experienced walking into my office, the, the ones who come in with the heaviest baggage of guilt, many times are the most religious. Everybody on the outside, man, they know all the verses. They go to church three times a week. They, woo, woo, woo. And yet they come into my office and when they get really honest, they're like, oh my goodness. I don't know what to do with all this guilt. And here's the interesting thing. The person who compounds their guilt is not very much different than the person who covers their guilt. 
Just think about it. It's logical that whether you compound it and go whole hog, I'm going to party, or whether you cover it, even if you look really religious and sanitized on the outside, whether you compound or cover, guess what? You got to carry it. You're still carrying your guilt. And see, here's the deal. The good shepherd comes and he says, there is an alternative. You don't have to carry your guilt because when you carry your guilt, it becomes extremely heavy. So what's the good shepherd say? I want you to write this down. I need to let the shepherd remove my guilt. I need to let the shepherd remove my guilt. The only way the shepherd can remove my guilt is if I cast my guilt onto him. That's the gospel. The only one who never was guilty died for all of us who are guilty. Isaiah 53, look at the screen. I'm gonna read this. Surely Jesus took up our pain and Jesus bore our suffering. And yet we consider Jesus punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, the things that make us guilty. The punishment that brought us peace so that we could be at peace with God, so that we could be at peace with ourselves was on Jesus. By Jesus' wounds, we get to be healed. We all are like sheep. We've said that. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity or the things that make us guilty of us all. Jesus was oppressed. Jesus was afflicted, yet Jesus didn't open his mouth. Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and just as sheep before its shears is silent, Jesus, too, did not open his mouth. Here's the deal. Okay, you can compound your guilt. Some of you, maybe that's where you're at. You can cover your guilt. Some of you, maybe that's where you're at. Even you can try to cope with your guilt, try to work through your guilt. But the good shepherd says... If you come to me, I'll remove your guilt if you cast your guilt onto me. He said, the only way for me to remove it is if you cast it onto me. How does that happen? There's an interesting passage. Look at the screen where it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Well, which ones? All our sins. Well, I mean, but what about that one like that no one knows about, that mom and dad never found out about, that all our sins. But I've been struck all our sins. Well, I don't know if anyone else in the room, all our sins. And then he says this, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. How did he do that? Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Listen close. Jesus was nailed to the cross for you and all the things you're guilty of so that if you would say yes to him, you could, ready? You could stop nailing yourself to a cross of guilt. For some of you, that is baggage you've been carrying for a long time. And no one around you knows it. You see, guilt is extremely heavy baggage to carry. But can I tell you something about grudges? Grudges can be downright debilitating, paralyzing, 
How in the world do we handle the resentments of life when people do things to us that are unfair, unjust, and just plain old make me mad? I want you to write this down. I need to then let the shepherd replace my grudges. I need to let him remove my guilt. I need to let him replace my grudges. Begs the question, all right, Dan, that sounds cool. How do I do that? I don't got 10 steps. I got a story. Because whereas I might not have felt qualified to talk to you about rest, when it comes to grudges, I don't know that I feel qualified, but I can talk to you from experience. A little over a decade ago, I went through one of the darkest times of my life due to the fact that I had people who I had trusted who did some very unfair, unjust, hurtful things to me that affected me and my family, people that I love. At that point in time, I became very angry. I'm very driven by justice. And the fact of the matter is that what was done to me then has never been vindicated to this day, never been, the truth has never totally come out, no one has apologized, none of that has happened. The moment that it happened, I began at that point in time to hang on to a grudge as though it was power. Because I thought if I let go of this grudge, if I let go, somehow I'm going to give the power to them. And yet, here's what I found, that the longer I held on to the grudge, the more life was sucked out of me. I became a shell of myself. Barely able to function. But eager to hold on to this grudge. Because I had been wronged. And if I told you the story, you all would, you were wronged and I needed the power. And yet the more I hung on to the grudge and thought I had the power, the more I lost the power to live and the freedom to live. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's where you're at today. And moment by moment, just like me, the life has been sucked out of you. And yet you're so afraid that if I let go of this, they win. They win. That's what I thought. I became such a shell of myself that I had some friends who almost forced me to go talk to somebody. And I did, reluctantly. He shared a lot of things with me, but there was a passage of Scripture that he shared with me that was life-giving to me. It was resurrecting to me that I want to share with you. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll put it on the screen, but I want to read it like he read it. He said, Dan, Christ suffered for you. And he left you an example, Dan, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And look at this next line. This is what resurrected my spirit, began to resurrect my spirit. 
Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This man asked me a question. I was in a bad place. He said, Dan, who do you trust to deal with this better? You or the God who sees what you don't see, knows what you don't know? Now, just so you know, I'm real, just like you. I'm going to tell you what I said to him. I was in a bad place. I said, right now I feel like I can. Because I was the one who was wronged. And I said to that man, I said, I'm the one. That's just real. That's just raw. But as we talked, I realized that God saw something I didn't see, knows something I don't know, even to this day, and he always does what's right. And this man said to me, the first step in you finding freedom from what is sucking the life from you is for you to entrust yourself to a God who always does the right thing. Stay with me. Entrust yourself to him. Will I feel different? Probably not right away. Because it's only when you entrust yourself to God, he's going to do the right thing. He sees what I don't see, even though it hasn't come out in the light. Here's the deal. Then you can extend forgiveness. Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness. Why? Because Dan has taken the life out of you. Get rid of rage and anger. Why? Because it's killing you. Get rid of brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate by forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's interesting, isn't it? Because he said, you'll be able to, when you entrust yourself to God, extend forgiveness to the degree you've experienced it. Look, I'm going to tell you something that's It's okay if it's hard to hear. When I have trouble extending forgiveness, it's probably because I haven't fully understood what it means to experience it. It's okay if that's hard to hear. It was hard for me to hear, so it's okay if it's hard for you to hear. But when I begin to entrust myself to God, I realize I've been forgiven beyond anything I'll ever forgive, and then I can extend what doesn't come from me naturally but supernaturally because I've been forgiven by God. That's the gospel. See, here's what I know. Some of you are here this morning and your soul is downcast. Here's what Psalm says, Psalm 42, look at this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I'll yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Here's the deal. Putting your hope in God is accepting his forgiveness for what you're guilty of. That's putting your hope in God. And putting your hope in God is extending forgiveness instead of holding on to a grudge because I've entrusted myself to him. See how that works? I learned something about sheep and that's this. That if you would use with a shepherd the term a downcast sheep, they would have have known what you're talking about. Because when a sheep would roll over on its side, eventually it would, it's made so that it will roll over on its back and then its legs are in the air and it can't do anything. It's downcast. It's a pitiful sight. It starts crying and bleeding because it knows that it's vulnerable, waiting any minute for a predator to come. Beyond that, it lays there and its legs become numb the longer it lays there. Not only that, but its stomach begins to fill up with gases rather quickly that eventually will suffocate that sheep. That sheep needs what? Needs a shepherd. What's interesting to me is the picture of the shepherd when it sees a downcast sheep. And some of you need to hear this because our shepherd 
is the good shepherd. A shepherd, when it would see a sheep in that situation downcast, it would come and it wouldn't stand over the sheep and say, get up, get going, right? No. You know what it would do? That shepherd would gently and not rush it, begin to massage the legs of that sheep. Take as much time as that sheep needed. All the while massaging the legs of that sheep, the shepherd would be talking to the sheep, reassuring the sheep. Till eventually that shepherd would kneel down and place his hand around the belly of that sheep and roll the sheep to get it on its legs because the sheep couldn't do that on its own. Once on its legs, that shepherd would stand there with hands around that sheep until that sheep had balance to be able to walk. Some of you in the room are downcast and you have a shepherd that wants to restore your soul. Some of you are downcast because you're on your back with guilt. Some of you are downcast because you're on your back with grudges. And I want to tell you something. It eventually will suck the life out of you. It eventually will suck the life out of you. And this morning, the good shepherd comes and says, I want to restore what's damaged, what's broken. I want to restore your soul. He wants to give rest to our body. He wants to restore our soul. And I got to just real quickly mention this. One last thing. My shepherd wants my mind to be renewed. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Why does he guide us? Because Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. Can I say it this way? We make our decisions and then our decisions make us. The problem is many of us make decisions in kind of a sheep-like way. I'm going to do what I want to do because it's what I feel like doing. Or I'm going to do what everybody else is doing. Or we make it like mystical. Like we, and, and be careful of this because we're like, you know something? The other day I woke up and at just this hour a bird landed on the branch and then a rainbow appeared and my phone rang. God must have been telling me something, right? We have this mystical way we make decisions. And the shepherd's like, I want to guide you. And he says in Proverbs 14, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Do you know how many times I've sat in my office and I've talked to people and they said, what does God have to say? And I'm like, here's what he has to say. I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. I think I'm going to do this. Because it appears right to me. And the shepherd's like, I know, but you're a sheep. And I'm a shepherd that knows you, loves you, sees what you don't see. How in the world does he renew my mind? Two things I want you to write them down. I need to start by admitting I need a guide. He guides the humble in what is right, teaches them his way. If you want the shepherd to guide you, it starts with you humbling your heart, training your mind to hear and respond to the shepherd's voice. And then I need to trust my guide. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He'll make your path straight. 
So I'd prefer if you didn't put any of your stuff away. And I'm going to invite Aiden to come out with his crew. And we're going to sing a song to end and then we're done. Can I ask you a couple questions? Let me start by asking this. Are you following the good shepherd into rest? Do you need rest? Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're trying to prove yourself, your worth, your value to somebody who's already gone. I wish dad had told you that. I wish mom had expressed that. But here's the deal. The good shepherd says you can work from your worth, not for your worth. Others of you, maybe the the best way to apply everything that these two verses have said is simply, I need to go back and look at my schedule and say, what does my schedule say I value? And what does my shepherd value? And what do I need to begin saying yes to first? And what do I need to begin saying no to? And I got to believe I'm not alone. Some of you feel so much pressure that you have no time to run into his presence. And the best way for you to apply this and to begin to experience rest is to say, I'm going to bring my pressure into his presence because I need his peace. Like I'm too busy not to. Some of you need rest. But I've been watching you. I've, I've, I've been watching you and I've been doing this long enough. I can see when people's eyes connect with mine and when all of a sudden I have their attention and my guess is in this room, there's more of you that need restored in your soul. Some of you looked up here in a unique way when I was talking about carrying your guilt because you are so dog tired from carrying it around. You sanitized it on the outside, but you're, you're dog tired. This morning, Shepherd says, I died for all that. You can cast it on me. That doesn't seem fair. It's not. It's grace. He gives us what we don't deserve, but what we need. And this morning, you can say, yes, Jesus. I'm tired of carrying this guilt. I want to cast it today, this day. But I was watching your eyes and some of you, the life is being sucked out of you moment by moment because you're holding on to something that happened a year ago, 10 years ago, whatever it is, and it was bad. It was bad. It hurt. It was unjust. If people knew and you are waiting for vindication, you are hanging on to it thinking you've got power and the more you hang on to it, more life gets sucked out of you. The good shepherd says, trust yourself to me. I know. I walk the same path. I do understand. And I want you to experience something that you can extend, but you won't be able to do it naturally. You're only going to be able to do it with my help. And I'll stay as long as it takes until you get on your feet and get your balance. And then I want to guide you. I want to guide you for the rest of your days on this earth. So God, we're going to finish with this song and I pray for my friends in this room. I pray some maybe just need to sit and listen to the words of the song, wash over them this morning. Maybe others need to sing it as a prayer. But I pray, God, that they this morning would see the shepherd who wants rest and restoration and renewal for their life and that they would run, run into your presence 